Y'all hear me? Uh, sounds like I'm mic'd, all right. Well, um, um, my name is Jim Malowitz. Um, I am moderating this panel, and, and I thank you all for coming out to the uh, Texas Tribune Festival and actually spending time with us on what could be a nice wonky time. We're talking about the uh, future of the grid. We've got a lot of competition so um, in, the, in this time slot at the festival, so it's great to see you all here. It's, uh, uh, I guess, a lot of fans of um, the electricity um, uh, lights, the, the lights staying on. So, so that's good. Um, hopefully, the lights won't go off in the middle of this panel like happened at uh, another electricity panel I was once at. Um, uh, just a little housekeeping. I'm guessing you all have been to some other panels already today. Um, but I'll just ask you to keep your phones on silent. Um, and, uh, but, but definitely feel free to tweet. And if you're tweeting something, um, all these brilliant quotes that you'll hear uh, from the stage, um, you can hashtag it TTF uh, for Texas Tribune Festival. Um, and uh, we'll go about 45 minutes or so with um, Q&A from me. And then um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave about 15 minutes or so um, for some audience questions. So um, if you have any questions, um, uh, you know, uh, think about them, and you can migrate to the mic uh, about that time. Um, so I have a very distinguished um, uh, set of panelists here with me with a very um, um, wide array of, of backgrounds. Um, I'll just introduce them now. Um, to my left, we have um, uh, Texas Public Utility Commissioner Brandy Marty Marquez. Um, she was appointed to the PUC by Governor Rick Perry in 2013, and she previously served as the Governor's Chief of Staff and she served as uh, Perry's Deputy Chief of Staff as well um, as his Director of Budget Planning and Policy, and she's a member of the State Bar of Texas, so she has a broad, broad area of expertise there. Um, to, to her left, we have uh, Texas Senator Bob Hall. He's uh, an Edgewood Republican who's represented, it, uh, represented Senate District 2 since 2015. Hall is a U.S. Air Force veteran, and he's a member of the Senate Transportation, Natural Resources and Development, and Veteran Affairs and Military Installations and, and Agriculture, Water, and Rural Affairs Committees. Probably, uh, probably need some semicolons there, so it's a lot of committees. Um, he's also served as Vice Chairman of the Subcommittee on Border Security, and he previously worked as an independent proposal consultant to aerospace and defense corporations. Um, and uh, in the legislature, he has proposed legislation calling for the hardening of the electric grid. Um, to his left, uh, we have Elizabeth uh, Lippincott. She's the executive director of the Texas Clean Energy Coalition. Uh, she's a leader at the coalition, which supports natural gas and renewable resources like wind and, po wind and solar power. Uh, she's also vice president of uh, Vianovo, an advisory firm. Um, and she previously served as chief of staff for former state representative uh, Juan M. Garcia III. And um, research by the uh, uh, Texas Clean Energy um, uh, Coalition has suggested that uh, Texas energy portfolio um, uh, will start looking very different in the coming years. We'll be talking to her about that um, as, as uh, the state shifts uh, away from coal and towards um, other resources. And uh, last but not least, uh, to um, her left, we have Joel Austin. He's the vice president and chief information officer of uh, Encore Electric Delivery. And uh, Encore is the regulated electric transmission and distribution um, provider that serves um, uh, roughly 10 million Texas, Texans, um, it's the, the biggest um, in the state. Um, Austin has more than 30 years of experience in the energy, finance, and software industries. Um, and he's been at uh, Informix, NSEARCH, Deloitte, and um, Texas Utilities. And uh, today he'll be helping us uh, understand cybersecurity issues um, as they affect the grid. So we'll have a, a wide-ranging uh, conversation here. Um, and uh, so first, I, I guess I'll just get into questions right now. Um, uh, Elizabeth, uh, I wonder if you could um, start us um, and talk a little bit about what research at uh, your coalition has found um, when it comes to looking forward, looking, uh, you know, um, uh, into the next uh, 20 or so years and, and, and to, you know, at what the Texas grid might look like. Can you describe uh, roughly what our portfolio looks like now and what um, uh, the research y'all have funded um, suggests it will look like um, in the future? Absolutely. So our coalition has worked with um, an economics firm called the Brattle Group um, for a series of studies over the past three years or so. Um, and we chose them to do the work because they've also done research for the Public Utility Commission, ERCOT, and others. So they're very, very well regarded and very, um, uh, very fact-based in their research. 
Um, and the most recent study um, is something that, uh, that we released to the public this past May. And it talks about how if you look at the ERCOT grid over about a 20-year time horizon, um, market forces, primarily the, the low, the continuing low price of natural gas, but how market forces are really driving a transition toward more Texas-produced fuels like natural gas, Texas wind power, Texas solar power. Um, and we see coal really becoming a smaller part of the fuel mix within the ERCOT grid over this period of time. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And um, um, uh, Commissioner, I was wondering if you could comment on this too. Are those the general uh, trends that you're seeing on the commission as well? Um, and I think if, if I um, um, read the study correctly, the, the um, uh, the, the change from 2015 to 2035 that it, that it predicted um, was that, well, right now, natural gas power is roughly 48% um, of, uh, provides about 48% of our generation, and it would um, uh, increase to uh, more than 60% um, by uh, um, 2035, and coal would shrink from 28% to 6%. And I know when I report on the study, you know, some of the folks who have coal interests suggested, oh, you know, that's um, uh, kind of an extreme shift, and they're not sure if you know, whether that accounts for, um, you know, uh, stranded costs and things like that, you know, the, the, the building of a, a coal plant that um, um, might have been recently built and whether it will be operated longer than it's really economically viable. I'm wondering, um, is that roughly what you're seeing or, or, or what, what is PUC seeing? So there, sorry, uh, there's no doubt that the market, um, turns out that the free market is actually pretty green. Um, the, the market that we have in Texas rewards um, fast, efficient fuel, and um, you know some of our coal plants that are more dated may not be quite as efficient. And they are at this point with the high, uh, I'm sorry, with the low natural gas prices, they're priced out of the market. So, um, but one of the things that we also see with the federal regu regulations um, is that it, the federal regulations impose an artificial cliff to our market, where all of a sudden our Coal producers are having to make these economic decisions of, um, you know, should we should we make more environmental investment in our plants, or are the feds just going to close us down in ten years and we'll never be able to recover any of those costs? So, um, we certainly see that the market re rewards um, efficient energy production, and renewables absolutely fall within that category. But um, but there are also some very artificial market drivers that we're seeing from the federal regulation side of things that um, distort what we're what we're looking at. And, and Elizabeth, did your study, um, could you refresh my memory, did it separate to any extent? It, was it based just on market forces? Here's, here's what we're seeing going forward, or how did uh, federal regulations play into that? And, and, and one of the, and we, sh we, we should mention that uh, one of the huge um, federal regulations that uh, um, is being talked about is the, the Clean Power Plan, which is the state-by-state -state goals for reducing uh, emissions. And there's actually oral arguments in the uh, D.C. Uh, District Court on Tuesday, so it's kind of a big deal we're watching. Uh, did, did your study um, take a look at, at, at federal regulation? Yes, we looked at, um, and obviously there can always be more coming down the, coming down the line, but um, we looked at the two big ones, the Clean Power Plan that you mentioned, and then also the regional haze rule, because those are two, um, you know, two big pieces of federal regulation that have been on the horizon during the time that we were working on this study. And what was really interesting to see is that regional haze would have an impact, but um, really considering the market forces, as a lot of y'all probably know, natural gas is trading right around $3 right now. Um, our study was, um, was contemplating natural gas staying somewhere in that vicinity, even floating up as high as $4, um, which would, um, which the folks in the natural gas industry would be thrilled if that were to happen. But in any event, um, with, the, with the market forces that are in place right now, um, regional haze, while it would have an impact, it would be relatively marginal to what the market's doing. It would be less than less than 15% of this transition that we're foreseeing moving toward more Texas-produced clean energy from natural gas and renewables. Um, and actually, clean power plan, if it ever were implemented, which is a big question, but if it were implemented, um, 
the way that it's currently formulated, the market is actually driving the ERCOT grid um, so strongly toward clean energy that that ERCOT would automatically be compliant with the emission uh, restrictions that are in the CPP. And, and, and I wonder with this, because I've seen, um, I've heard the suggestions that, you know, Texas is like already like almost all the way there when it comes to meeting uh, some of our emissions, emissions targets uh, under these regulations that are, you know, have not uh, gone into effect yet um, because, because of the litigation. But um, with, with all the litigation surrounding it and all the arguments um, surrounding it, is it almost moot because of that? I mean, sh uh, uh, I, I, guess, I guess I'll ask you, uh, Commissioner, um, uh, do, do you believe that that we are kind of close to some of those targets? And, and, and if we are, is the uh, argument almost um, less relevant than we're making it, if that makes sense? Yes, and I think that the federal government should immediately retract all regulation <laughs> because we are just yes. killing it here in Texas. <laughs> uh, but I mean, truly, I, I think that it proves an amazing point. What a market is doing on its own in a, in a relatively painless way to our consumers is what, um, you know, the, when, when you add the artificial regulation that causes those cliffs that I was talking about, that causes stress on rate payers. And so um, Texas is the cleanest state in the nation. We just happen to be such a big state and, and an energy producing state and a heavy manufacturing state that we have all kinds of energy here. Um, but we have I, I think that it still stands that we are the number one wind producer in the country, and I think that we are, you know, if we were our own country, we would be like the fourth largest wind producer of every um, nation in the world. So um, we, are, we are getting there on our own, and I think that a reasonable question to ask, all cuteness aside, is why doesn't the federal government look at replicating the Texas model? instead of forcing regulations, why not look at a free market and how that will automatically get you the goals? Um, Texas emissions uh, over the last 10 years have dropped. We're, we're a cleaner state because of the, the clean energy and it's exciting. I mean, the solar guys come in and they're like, just don't do anything, but we're here and we're gonna compete. And we wanna make sure our market's open to everyone so everyone can compete and um, so I think and, you're totally onto something. Well, and, and Senator Hall, I wanna ask you because you have the, the the lawmaker hat on here. Um, do you expect, you know, as we're waiting to see how some of the litigation on these regulations plays out, is is the legislature going to be looking at this to any extent? I mean, will there be any sort of backup plan um, to construct a, a a clean power plan in in case Texas loses in court, or or how how do you see things going forward in the, in the legislature? Well, well, first let, let me comment on what they've said because they have both Elizabeth and Brandy have used the key words in there free markets uh, in there and, and customer driven uh, in, in the solutions. And, uh, and that's what has got Texas where it is today. And that, uh, but until the courts decide on what there is, I don't see the legislature at this point on this particular issue. Now I do expect to see them to do something about the security of the grid or the lack of it. But as far as what fuel is being used and what plants are where, I don't see that happening because the legislature really wouldn't have an answer. Uh, there, uh, that's just not something we're going to be able to legislate around until the, until the issues with the feds are settled and then we know what options are, are on the table and what are off the table that we might be able to help with. But I don't see, that's not in the free market. This is, uh, this is working real well from that standpoint. Uh, so. Okay, and so. Um, and Jim, if I could just underline something that the senator said. The, the reason that the market forces, and, and the commissioner touched on this as well, the reason that the market forces are, are able to, to bring this transition to Texas consumers is because of things that, that legislators and regulators have done in the past, deregulating the Texas electric market and, and keeping it deregulated even when, when there was pressure um, at different points to maybe consider a change. Um, adopting the renewable portfolio standard, you know, way, way back years ago has really set the table for us now to be able to reap these benefits. And uh, the commissioner touched on impact to consumers, which we're all consumers, that's all very important to us. And another point that our study brought out is that this transition, because it is being driven by market forces 
and because the costs of clean energy are low and only getting lower, um, all of this transition and the cleaner air, the lower emissions, the, um, uh, the avoidance of federal regulation, all of this that goes together is all going to happen in an environment where wholesale electric prices are not going to go up. Inflation may do whatever it's going to do, but in the 20-year horizon that our study looks at, wholesale electric prices are going to stay right where they were in 2014. Um, and that's, that's good news for all of us. It's good news for folks in the industry, um, for folks in manufacturing. Everybody benefits when we have affordable energy in the state. Okay. And, um, in, in, in the and regulations will play a major part in that. And we talk about free markets and, and prices, uh, costs driving it. We've got to make sure that it is the market that's doing it and not uh, ignoring government subsidies on any particular uh, one or more energy alternatives and then pretend like that subsidies aren't part of the cost of the people. Because those subsidies are come right out of the pockets of the people just like ta taxes do. And uh, um, so we, we've kind of established, it sounds like we're, we're for the most part in agreement that at the very least, um, Texas is moving in, in, in a direction, um, you know, the, the, the coal sector's um, shrinking, um, some of these coal, old coal plants are retiring, um, we're, we're adding more renewables to the grid. I, I do want to talk about um, what the impacts of actually getting the electricity uh, to us, like what, what impacts that has. Um, I, I hear um, some hand-wringing about um, whether, you know, when some of these old coal plants go down in certain spots, if they're in the wrong, a certain spot on the grid, then it's, it's then hard to get, um, uh, figure out like the best route for power, um, to, the best way to reroute power. I'm wondering, um, um, and, and I guess I'll, I'll ask you, Commissioner, first, um, do you foresee, um, as we move in this direction, um, uh, the need for um, more major build-outs of uh, transmission lines, that kind of thing? We've already funded, uh, what, $7 billion um, uh, competitive re renewable energy zone pr project to get um, uh, wind power from West Texas to, to places uh, like Austin. Mm -hmm. are, are we going to need another big build out to, to handle this? Yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely one of the fears. I mean, um, the, the locational pricing um, where some of these generation units are, um, it is transmission planning is is a very exact science. and. When you lose a plant, it's not as easy as uh, if you lose a plant in East Texas, you just don't get to build another windmill farm in West Texas and call it all even. Um, the, numbers, the numbers have to match constantly of input and output, and they have to match in the locations where we need them. And um, every single transmission line in Texas is like a, a highway with very specific traffic on it. And so when you double up that traffic because you lose a highway here, um, and, and, and Texas transmission planners have been excellent about making sure there's a lot of redundancies in those lines. So there is a, an awful lot of planning that goes into um, these kinds of decisions. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important. I think that the feds, um, they have, have not really ever taken into consideration the transmission planning. You know, in 2002, the transmission portion of our electric bill was about $16 for the postage rate. Now it is about $50. That's a significant increase for families that, um, you know, and, and as, as we look at continually having to readjust to how we respond to these regulations, it's, it's absolutely uh, a challenge. And there are other challenges that come up as well. Subsynchronous oscillation um, is a, is a um, formula <laughs> that, um, that we've discovered happens when you have electricity coming across really long lines. It's not necessarily a renewable issue, but what it is is a transmission uh, energy, electricity traveling through a really long electric lines with certain equipment on there that allows more electricity to pass through. So um, that is a, an issue that we're having to look at on an engineering side. And um, again, let's, let's uh, repeat that term, subsynchronous oscillation. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. really cool. Everybody Google it. Bookmark that Google definition. Um, but it, it really is a fascinating phenomenon that can, that can have serious repercussions. And so engineers have to think through that with the, with the transmission planning aspect of this. And, um, and not only that, but as you have a, a greater mix of renewables on the grid, the, um, there, the generation of those renewables is much faster and cleaner than, say, more traditional sources. So the inertia that um, when you have a plant 
trip offline, it will slowly trip offline if it's a traditional generation, but these newer sources trip off quickly. So um, when you have to constantly make your input and output match, um, we, we are used to matching that inertia and our engineers know how to do that and they're learning how to do it um, with, with this new set of resources, but it is an interesting, it's, you know, the, the world is changing and it's, it's uh, there's a lot of science going on. And, uh, and, and Joel, I want to actually ask you a question since I, <laughs> I've left you <laughs> silent for, for this whole time. Um, you know, we're, we're, can, can you, uh, I, and, and we're definitely going to get into uh, the cybersecurity issues that, that are like, that is your, your main expertise, but I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what role you see at Encore at, at, as a, a large transmission and distribution company. Is it, um, are, are, are we sometimes ignoring the power line company's role in delivering um, this kind of uh, this, this new cleaner energy to the grid? I mean, wh wh where do you see Encore's role in, in this whole discussion? Well, it, it sure doesn't feel like it to me that, that um, our, our segment's being ignored. Uh, based on our level of investment and, and a lot of the projects and work that we've had over the past several years, you know, in, in my segment, uh, the technology piece, a lot of that has driven a great deal of information technology and operational technology uh, investment and work. Um, so it feels to me like we've really established with the TDUs the, the technological capabilities to facilitate a lot of this and to facilitate uh, a lot of the information and data associated with how different sources or, or uh, different loads on the grid can work. Um, you know, I have peers in other states who have solar and some other things to, to a greater degree than we do, and it's interesting to hear the, the challenges that they have and, and how they solve those using technology. Mm -hmm. And is, it, um, is your job getting just more complicated by the day um, as, as, a, as the grid's changing, or is it still kind of like the, the, the same old thing, but you're just innovating in, in, in new ways? It's definitely uh, uh, gets more challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the challenge of information technology, any technology, used to be, you know, can you actually uh, implement technology that will perform the function that um, it was purported to, to, to um, actually achieve. So your definition of success was how well did the project go and does the system work and does it provide that function to the engineers or to the customer service people that it was supposed to. And now uh, you have the added challenge of, okay, um, how secure is that? And what do you need to do to provide security to these technologies, which really facilitate the, the operation of the grid and the availability of, of better and more information to customers about the status of their service, um, their utilization of electricity so they can make better decisions about their electricity usage. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to, I, I will definitely come back to that security question um, in a second, but I want to ask you, um, Elizabeth, mm -hmm. um, am I correct that uh, the uh, Texas Clean Energy Coalition is, is now working on or, or funding some studies on the transmission side of, of, of the uh, shift to, to renewables? Yes, because our, our goal is always to have um, very objective Texas-specific data that can be uh, can be useful to the industry and, and useful to the decision makers in the state because there's there is so much going on uh, in the grid right now. So we are working again with the Brattle Group that I mentioned before. Um, we're working with them on a study looking at um, looking at the findings from the from the previous study with this market driven transition to a lot more clean energy, and then taking that as the jumping off point to try to figure out what are the transmission needs. Um, and, and we are hoping to have that information um, ready to release and, and share with decision makers next month. Um, what, we've, uh, what we know so far is that as far as ERCOT, there is not going to be a reliability problem with the transition to clean energy. Um, as the commissioner mentioned, there may be certain nodes in East Texas that need to be managed. Um, but uh, but that's um, that's what we're trying to really figure out and pinpoint right now, um, and obviously cost you know maybe uh, maybe a concern, um, and we're going to uh, begin looking at that as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and you mentioned cost, and, and I believe the commissioner did a little uh, allude to it as well. Um, I get um, readers a, a lot of times asking me about uh, they, they take a look at their power bill and say, hey. 
you know, natural gas is so cheap right now, and, and I keep hearing about all this cheap energy, but why is my power bill either um, staying roughly the same, or, or why is it going up? And a lot of times, it's, it's that growing um, uh, transmission and distribution cost. Um, and uh, I guess I wanted to ask um, you, uh, Joel, is that, um, as, as the transmission costs like make up a, a larger portion of the bill, is that just because you're because the company's lives are, are are getting more complicated and 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 they're dealing with more issues and and we need this large investment um, that's that's uh, you know adding up to some extent. Well, I I, I think specifically at Encore, mm -hmm. um, a lot of our um, investments are to facilitate going back to the original deregulation and, and opening of competition in the market. Uh, a lot of the investments that we've made, particularly in technology. Uh, or to facilitate our ability to continue to evolve that market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so now I do actually want to pivot towards the um, security issue. Um, and um, um, I, I'll first uh, ask you, Senator Hall, I know you've, you've um, pitched some legislation um, calling for a hardening of, of the electric grid. Um, and uh, um, you actually had a symposium uh, a few months ago in the Capitol uh, talking about various um, threats to, to the grid. Could you take us through some of the problems that, that you're concerned about when it comes to, to reliability and the, the, the hard infrastructure of the grid? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, we're, we are, our electrical grid system has grown since the day one we started. Basically, and, and I don't mean this in a derogatory, but kind of like Topsy. It's something that's been added to and added to and added to, and we never went back and redesigned re overall the whole system. But no real effort was really made in, the, in putting security to protect the system that we have threats of today. It was thought of, you know, we had local problems with people shooting at transformers or tearing things up or something of that nature. But um, it wasn't too long ago that electricity was considered to be a luxury. I mean, when I was growing up, it was a luxury because I knew a lot of people didn't have electricity. And today, it is the third most important thing to sustaining life. The only two things that are more important than electricity to sustain our life is air and water. Because there are a lot of people that would live longer without food than they will without electricity. So electricity is absolutely necessary for the existence of life in America as we know it. And as technology has grown and capabilities have grown and our dependence on technology, we have become more vulnerable to things that attack the technology. And we'll talk about the cyber, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. The move in the power company to go from manual switching to reroute to the more use of computers has made us more vulnerable to a cyber attack to mess with the grid and burn it up. Uh, the, the growth in the technology has also given someone who wants to do damage the ability to do more damage than they used to be at. With some of the inter interconnect, now a cyber attack, while any, any single cyber attack will probably not cover a lot of the grid, it would do more than what an old physical attack would do. And, and, and I wonder, Joel, too, since this is your area of expertise, I finally get to ask you the cybersecurity question. And I'll finish the rest of oh, it later. Oh, sure. um, I, I wanted to ask you, when, when we're talking about cyber attacks, um, you know, we hear about them a lot of times in the context of, um, you know, uh, Yahoo gets its data hacked and, and your personal information is out there, um, or, you know, a credit card company gets hacked. What, um, and I know you can't get into too many specifics to, you know, um, tell people how to hack the grid, um, but can you talk about, like, uh, what that type of thing looks like, what are the consequence, consequences you're trying to ward off when you're um, uh, protecting uh, Encore's assets? Sure. Well, to the Senator's point, uh, security of the grid and security of the technologies that have been deployed is first and foremost on, on our minds as a, a grid operator, a transmission distribution utility. Um, it is certainly a, a very hot topic nationally, um, a national security topic, in fact, uh, with critical infrastructure towers like electricity um, being so focused on from a governmental level of, you know, is, is there more regulation? Is there more things we should be doing? In general, um, Encore has always viewed its role as being the safe, reliable deliverer of electricity. We really have added secure to that, um, and it is that strategic for us 
it has driven us to, um, not just as a company, but as an industry, uh, we interact with so many different forums now around cybersecurity. Um, and it really, it spans the gamut of um, three-letter agencies, uh, the military, other technology experts. As we consider um, deploying technologies, we actually start at the beginning and look at, okay, how are you going to architect and engineer security into this as you consider how you deploy that? So it, it's really, a, it, it's changed the way that we um, consider uh, risk Certainly, because ultimately you're trying to manage risk with all of your investment portfolio, um, and it has elevated the level of risk that we see um, with the deployment of technology, and we take that, you know, as seriously as we take any other part of our, what we consider to be our mission. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, the men and women that work in, in my area and in other areas um, have, uh, we've added to our uh, staff from other, seg other sectors that have a, a longer term experience perhaps than the electric industry uh, does in order to ensure that we are pulling from the best and the brightest, that we're doing business with technology companies that understand that risk and can help us ensure, much like in the banking industry, that we're implementing safe, secure solutions sure. as we um, deliver electricity to Texans. And uh, um, re recently, and uh, I failed to note whether this was um, this year or last year, but it was recently the um, uh, part of the Ukrainian grid got hacked, um, and uh, um, hackers knocked out at least 30 of the country's 135 uh, power substations for about six hours. And um, uh, I was reading a, a Bloomberg uh, Business Week uh, analysis that was saying that um, it was arguing that the, the U.S. system is definitely less vulnerable than Ukraine's because um, there's just better technology and it's, um, uh, that's, that's, less, that's, that's not as old, it's newer. Um, but that um, if someone got in, and in, in the Ukraine case, they installed, uh, uh, the hackers installed malware into the system, I believe. If somebody got in, it could um, potentially take down parts of the grid for longer. Do you have any thoughts about that, or is that, is that too broad of a generalization to to talk about you know, the US grid or the Texas grid versus um, you know, the Ukrainian grid, which actually was um, hacked into? Well, I, I certainly am not an expert in the, the Ukrainian <laughs> sure. engineering of, <laughs> of their distribution networks. However, as you can imagine, um, we've spent a lot of time studying and, and as an industry, not just as Encore, exactly what happened there. Um, certainly am very interested in what sort of the debrief was as to how that attack happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, some of the messages that, that I take from it, that Encore takes from it, is um, a lot of our methods and practices um, that have been in place for some time, it sort of reinforces that, yep, you really need to be careful about um, email spam phishing. You need to be careful about social engineering, all the methods that are used by any kind of attacker to gain access to your credentials because that's ultimately what allows any kind of cyber attacker in. It's not just a, uh, an industry thing for the electric industry. If you, if you look at a lot of the hacks that have occurred broadly in, in the retail business and other sectors, it's that giving up of the credentials or finding a way to get into your network, that is the, the entry point. And in the case of the Ukrainian um, deal, I believe that it's you know, publicly available information. There's a lot of steps they took after that. Um, and then Finally, also to look at incident response, because a, a lot of what we invest in and drill around and prepare for is it's very difficult to guarantee any, in any industry anywhere that you're not going to have a, a cyber attack. You're not going to have a breach. Um, so what you do in terms of um, ensuring that you're managing that risk is also spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, if that does happen, how are we going to respond as a company, as an industry? How does the communications work? Where do the people come from that can help us uh, diagnose and, and determine what happened? And if there is any kind of uh, activity that needs to take place digitally after that to resolve that, um, it's a, certainly a very hot topic right now in our industry. And uh, uh, Commissioner Marquez, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from the state standpoint, is this something where the, you know, the commission feels like the, the industry is doing enough to, um, you know, that they have a vested in interest, honestly, in protecting their assets, and uh, they're they're going to hire the, the competent people like like, like Joel to, to 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 do that. Or Joel makes me feel pretty good. Or or or, but 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 is there any um, state policy angle, regulatory angle that that could help protect um, 
our infrastructure more? I, I think that, that um, not only is this a hot topic within the industry, and in large part due to Senator Hall um, elevating the conversation, it's a hot topic within the um, legislature, and um, it's certainly something we think about at the commission as well. The challenge, as you said earlier, is how do you talk about securing one of the most precious assets in this nation in such a way that you don't compromise its security? Um, and as the government, if we set regulations, so, so these utilities are charged to provide continuous an adequate service, and um, that absolutely includes being secure, because that is the number one thing all of us think about all the time. Um, so they also have another motivation in Texas, which is they're not going to make any money unless there is electricity going through those wires. And um, that's a pretty, if, if you believe in the free market, that's a pretty great motivation to keep people um, hiring folks like Joel who listening to hear him talk makes me feel pretty good about, um, about where we are. It's not just about keeping me out, it's about how, how quickly can you get back online if you need to. So um, when we set regulations as a state, then what we find is that companies meet those regulations. We don't want companies meeting regulations. We want companies going above, beyond, better, faster, quicker. Um, so we have to be very mindful of what kind of consequences could any regulations we make on this topic um, unintentionally cause. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I want to ask too about, so we've talked about um, potential cyber attacks on, on the grid. Um, the, the Wall Street Journal um, recently looked at a different type of attack, a more, the, the more physical attacks. Uh, a few months ago, um, there was a, an article um, headlined, How America Could Go Dark. Um, and the, the journal said it examined dozens of substation break-ins. Um, these were like unmanned stations behind chain link fences, which included uh, PG&E's, uh, this was in California, uh, its Metcalf facility um, near, near San Jose, where gunmen knocked out 17 transformers that helped power Silicon Valley, and a blackout was narrowly averted. And um, the, uh, the nut graph, uh, what, what we in journalism call the nut graph, the, the main point of the story um, said this, the, the US electric, electric system is in danger of widespread blackouts lasting days, weeks, or longer through the destruction of sensitive, hard to replace equipment. Yet records are so spotty that no government agency can offer an accurate tally of substation attacks, whether for vandalism, theft, or nefarious purposes. Um, I guess I wanna um, first, I guess I'll first put it to Joel. I'm, um, so we're talking about the physical break-ins of substations, and I'm not aware of any that have happened um, mm -hmm. in Texas, or at least have been serious enough to make the, the news. Yeah. Is this is 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 this a, a serious problem too? Just people breaking into these? So I'll, I'll have to admit, I, you know, I expect there to be questions up here that I couldn't answer, and okay. physical security <laughs> okay. around substations would would be one of those. Okay, and and, I'll, I, I, and actually, uh, uh, Senator Hall, you're, you're saying that you yeah, you ab are. Ab absolutely, <laughs> there have been. Uh, there, uh, Pernalis had one uh, a couple of years ago, very similar to what happened in San Jose, California. It was a uh, uh, an attack uh, where a substation was shot up pretty badly, and it did, did look like from the analysis afterwards that it was a well-coordinated uh, attack, not just a uh, random violence. Mm -hmm. And did we, did we have any um, mini blackout or you know any any areas that went dark that you were aware of, or, or do so. you remember that? No. Um, no, then, and, and while physical security is, is important and cybersecurity are important, both of those will have very limited impact on damage or hurt to, to the people. The ones I'm really concerned about are the two single event uh, threats to our, our grid system, one being a, uh, a coronal mass ejection from the sun is a natural EMP attack or event that would destroy the, the entire electrical grid. And this is, a, if, if we can define the, the scientific term, this would be, a, a, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, it'd be a, 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 like a billion ton cloud from a solar storm in space that would hit the Earth's magnetic field and then the shaking would disrupt the, the system? It, it, that, it's yeah. an induced current in, in yeah. the ground. It's mm -hmm. happened. Uh, it's not something that scientists have speculated on. It actually occurred in 1859. We've tried the electro, uh, telegraph system from coast to coast, and in Europe, several people were burned very badly. Uh, the, the intensity of the currents were so bad in the railroad tracks that it uh, set ties on fire and turned, them into and turned the rails into pretzels. And then uh, just in, I think, in 1989, the huge blackout in Quebec in the northeast part of the United States 
was a result of a uh, GMD or a coronal mass ejection that uh, I think it cost them about $20 billion to replace it. And, and, and so some of your legislation was, was calling for certain equipment to be installed on the grid? No, we're going, it's, it's going to be more spec driven and trying to let the, the power companies solve the problem themselves. We're just trying to raise the level so that, that we get some action to actually provide for protection of the grid because a single nuclear weapon that would be set off uh, above the Earth's atmosphere uh, that could easily be done, launched off of the back of a cargo ship with a, with a medium-range missile, only needs to get to a couple hundred nautical miles above the central part of the United States, and it would take out, they estimate, at least 90% of our electrical power that would be non-repairable because we have so many parts out there that we just don't even make in the United States. Our high-voltage transformers that weigh several thousand tons are only made, I believe, in, as I understand, in uh, South Korea and Germany. And when nothing electrical works, our country comes to an end. And this is the electromagnetic pulse threat, which, which scientifically yes. could happen. Um, Commissioner Marquez, I'm wondering what, what, what you think about this, this threat and um, whether that's, that's an investment we need to make uh, on the grid. I, um, I think that you know, we can never underestimate the, the evil intentions or the creativity of our um, enemies. We see, you know, over and over again that, that there are, are, in fact, things to fear. Um, I think that, um, you know, uh, as far as the, the man-made, I, I just read a great article in scientificamerica.com um, about the forecasting of solar storms. Texas geographically is in a better position than the rest of the country, but the senator is right. The, um, the storm that happened in the late 1800s that, that fried out the uh, the um, telegraph um, is something that would affect Texas too. But right, but now our forecasting of solar storms is becoming very sophisticated, and um, so that's a very exciting. As far as our enemies and um, on our grid, you know, keep in mind our grid is made up of three parts. It's made up of people who make power, the generators. It's made up of people who transmit power, which is what we're talking about now, the the lines and the poles. And then it's made up of the people who consume power. And if any one of those three goes out, then our grid, we, if, if all of a sudden we lose all of, all, every gas station in Texas goes dark, then we, everybody at ERCOT is on high alert trying to figure out which lines go in, which lines go out, because you have to keep those numbers constant. If every generator goes out, then um, we've, got, we've got issues. If one generator goes out, we have issues that ERCOT are working to connect. All three components, if you really talk about strengthening the grid, if we have the lines and poles, but, but we don't have anybody producing power, and you know, people at home, if we have one of these EMP attacks, people at home aren't gonna be using their coffee machines. They're not gonna be um, using their phones. I mean, we're gonna lose everything. This is an act of war. Yeah, and, and what, what do you say to that um, thought, that, that uh, thought um, Senator Hall, this idea that, um, yes, the, the, the power lines may no longer work, but but also the, the chips and everything else you, you would use, uh, the circuits there would be fried, and, well, and what, what can we do? Uh, well, no question, we, we, would, we would be have a major setback because of our dependence on technology. We, we have moved ourselves as we have risen in comfort of life and, and using technology, we would lose a lot of that. But, and and uh, Randy is right about the three major parts of it all have to be working we're talking here in the legislature, though, is addressing those two that are, that are a monopoly, to speak, a utility. They're not the same as industry and the private residents. That's, that's their responsibility, but, but the government. So we don't really have legislation for homes and businesses because that's their option to stay in in business or do what, just, just like having fire extinguishers. That's their option to have those sprinkler systems, whatever they need to do to protect their business. We're talking about the, the utilities, which is the, the delivery of the electricity, which includes the generation, the transmission, and distribution of protecting those things that are not replaceable. I'm, I'm talking about when this happens, these are things that we would not be physically in our lifetime be able to replace them. So. They tell us we're over. <laughs> the attack has come. And, and, and the same. 
and, it, but, and, and similar technology that would be used to protect the, the, the power generation and distribution could be used by industry and by uh, residents. And as a part of this, we're looking at the entire support of what needs to take place to protect our electrical grid system so that, so that we can be able to produce it for those when they can use right. it. Because utility companies are not responsible for what people do in their businesses and homes. They're responsible for providing it. It's up to them you, to use it. But I recognize the need to have the balanced system and, but there are ways to do that. But, but you feel like this is something that's not already being worked on at, at, at the utilities, though? That this, uh, could, if it, that if it is, they won't okay. tell me about it. Okay. Well, <laughs> and I do think that Senator Hall has, has absolutely elevated the conversation. And, I mean, a, a very important thing which Senator Hall has talked about is cost. We have to be mindful of cost. So I think there are a lot of studies that are happening because, and studies that are happening on a national level in large part because Texas utilities are saying, hey, our lawmakers are talking about this. So, you know, where is it? A lot of the information, EPRI is doing a study right now, um, which is a national organization, and they are working, I think, not only with the Department of Energy, but they're also working with the Department of Defense, which is key because a lot of the information that, that utilities need to know on how to protect is um, classified mm -hmm. information. It, yeah, and it is being done. It's mm -hmm. not like we're plowing new ground. The, we know the Chinese. They have they have hardened a major part of their grid. South Korea has hardened their grid. Arab Emirates is in the process of hardening their grids. And our lieutenant governor, in his trip to Israel this this past summer, got a detailed briefing on what Israel is doing to harden its grid. And we know the Iranians have been manufacturing components, the parts, to do it themselves. So we have a good idea about what it would take. Uh, but you're right. We don't have a hard cost estimate. But there are several groups that are working on those. And there is nobody that I've talked to that ever talks about this being an expensive thing to do. It's talked about generally as a few dollars per meter. And we spent more than that yeah. building transmission lines for wind, wind power. Yeah. And I don't think it will come any clo anywhere close to what we spent on that. So it, it's not a major cost drive. And with that, we have uh, actually a little less than 15 minutes remaining. Uh, does anyone have any questions for, for the panelists? And, and if so, could you uh, step up to one of the mics <laughs> on either side of the room? And you're, you're first, sir. Um, my name is Justin Dumlow. I'm an IT manager up in Dallas. Um, I was wondering if y'all could speak on um, what impact uh, home power generation would have on the future grid and if that's something that y'all are looking into or if that's something that y'all are expecting to happen when people are generating excess energy from their own homes and putting it back on the grid. If you're thinking solar panels, that, that mm -hmm. type of thing? Yeah. Does anyone want to tackle that? Um, nope. The, I'm just kidding. Roll <laughs> dis distributed energy. Um, you know, that's in, in, in Austin, we got uh, a growing share of it. Yeah. So. Um, it's, the commission is just uh, wrapping up a rulemaking on um, who signs interconnection agreements as far as getting um, the transmission side of that right, but obviously the big question is the billing. And um, we are closely, closely watching what's happening in other states. This has not been an elegant dance um, anywhere that I've seen. Mm -hmm. But hopefully what we're going to be able to do is watch what other folks do. And by the time this gets to the point that we need to start making those decisions in Texas, we're going to figure out how to do this the right way for utilities, the right way for consumers, the right payers. And because we've seen some, some disputes over whether people who are hooked up to the grid but contribute energy still need to pay for, for the hookup, basically, right. that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of like the um, somebody used this analogy, and I thought it was a really good one. It's like the school lunches. School cafeteria has to plan that every single kid is going to eat lunch there that day, but a lot of kids are going to bring their lunch. But you still have that cost of providing those lunches every single day. So um, you don't want to leave the folks who don't put solar panels behind that they're paying exorbitant rates. Um, but you know, uh, there there will be people who are putting energy on the, the on the grid. So it, it's uh, hopefully will come after I'm gone. <laughs> we have another question. I'm just kidding. I have what is perhaps a follow-on question to that, where um, the grid goes down. Right now, the way that the regulations work, a individual provider is not allowed at a home, is not allowed to use their solar panels when the grid goes down. 
in other countries, they have a controller that you can have as part of your hookup to the grid where you, you sense whether the grid is up or down because you definitely would not want to send electricity up the grid and um, cause injury to a lineman trying to repair the Absolutely. grid. Mm -hmm. But in other countries, they have a controller that senses there's nothing coming from the grid, so I'm going to go straight to the house. For instance, I have panels on my home. I am not. I would not be able to continue if the grid went down. I would not be able to use my 40-some panels and keep my home running where my home business is. And on our street, we've got probably about every third house mm -hmm. has solar panels. We could. You know, we'd help the neighbors over. We'd all help each other out. Yeah. This is the type of thing that could help distribute the, um, you know, the the, the um, resiliency. The resi it, it would allow us to be more resilient and would, to me, help um, lower the the incentive for somebody to say, let's get their grid, when they know, bam, they can come back up because they have individual people that will help. That's an interesting issue to bring up. Does anyone want to address that? Is that something um, that, that there's any study of right now? I, I'm surprised. You can, have a, you can have a disconnect on the house, and, and if you're, you're disconnected from the system, you can use the power in your house. No, sir. That might be an Austin Energy. Uh, that, that, that is a, uh, it's pet analysis, my provider, okay, but I was okay. told it was statewide by our, all the solar people I worked with. That, that said, might be right. That might be right. This is a, you know, the way the state sets it up. And I think that probably you touched on it in your comments, which is it's a, you know, a safety issue. So, so I would, you know, um, things are moving so quickly and, and, and amazing things are happening. And this is the problem with government. We're never going to keep up. So, I would just ask that it be yeah. considered because mm -hmm. I, I think know it's a great that point. the equipment is available elsewhere, but they don't even allow it to be sold in Texas okay. and in most states. I think that's interesting. Thanks for the question. Good yeah. point. Uh, you, sir. Could you help me understand the, the relationship between privately operated utility companies, power companies, and then publicly like Austin? with the grid in terms of either security, is one better or worse, or in terms of push toward renewables faster? So the, um, just the difference between the, how, how the pub, public- Does it matter? Does it yeah. matter who owns the utility company? Okay, um, so anybody wanna tackle that? Public and private ownership? Well, there's two parts to that. I'll let them talk about part of it. I'll say as far as what we're trying to do in protecting the people of Texas and the electrical grid from, from the threats, because Texas is, has its own grid under ERCOT, we're addressing what's under ERCOT and looking at how we can bring in the rest of Texas that's part of the national system, either the, the eastern or the western side. But the, nationally, we have three major grids in the country, eastern, western, and then Texas uh, regulates itself. And so we were looking at all of what's in Texas and working on how we bring in those that are not part of ERCOT. And, and, and no. I guess if you're, if you're talking about the, um, uh, the transmission and distribution companies, then that, that would be, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're regulated utilities, so they're, they're um, making investments and then uh, applying for, um, uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to add those to rates if, if, if they need to increase rates, mm -hmm. um, right? So, so th those are all regulated utilities. Mm -hmm. uh, any, you have a question? Um, so it's great news that the market forces are pushing us towards renewables. Um, but renewables don't generate power all the time. What uh, energy storage systems, grid level systems, is ERCOT looking at? Specifically, uh, gravity energy storage. Do they have pilot programs where we're working on that, where we can actually you know, store the power and then use it at a later time when we actually need it? Do we want to talk about storage? Uh, well, Texas does have one. Do you, do you Texas has one pilot program for energy storage, no trees. I'm not sure if it's gravity-based or not. It's um, lithium. So it's I, don't, I don't know the answer to that, but, um, but you know, it, it is, it's exciting. You know, I'll say it. I know that it kind of came up last session in a, in a way that made some people nervous, but we've been talking about storage for as long as we've been talking about 
mm -hmm. any source of electricity. So um, what you got? And to Joel, yeah, you're probably not equipped to talk about the, the Encore um, storage <coughs> plan that, that, that emerged, but there's there an interesting story um, before last session uh, where, where Encore had funded a, um, a, a study, if I recall, by the Brattle Group, which is the same group that does the analysis for the Texas Coalition of a, a Clean Energy Coalition, um, that suggested that if, if Texas broke down barriers, like right now, um, you can't, one company can't generate and um, uh, uh, can't be a generator and a transmission provider. Um, the same company can't do both, but if you somehow change the law to break down that barrier, then there might be a cost-effective way to do more grid-wide um, storage if, if, if that company that had the battery was able to um, also sell excess power that it was storing. I'm, I'm, I'm probably butchering that explanation, but, 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 but it, it, it's a really interesting um, issue that emerged about a yeah. year ago, and um, there's, there's some people looking at that. And there's, uh, a, a lot of researchers at the universities um, here uh, taking a look at storage, um, but it's still not cost effective yet. Um, anybody else uh, have any questions? Um, we have about five minutes. I do have one backup question if you wanted to <laughs> listen to it. Oh, we, got, we do have a question. I'll, I'll spare you my question. I think sort of related to that and, and maybe related to the uh, Public Utility Commission, uh, just as you think about uh, the declining cost of wind and solar, and they've been rapidly declining, that's expected to continue, and potential for innovation and storage. You're thinking long-term, uh, in, in generation and, and infrastructure decisions are long-term in nature. What, what assumptions do you make about where renewable energy costs and storage technology uh, is going? So your question is, where does the public utility think about uh, where, where renewables are going? What, what are the long-term assumptions on which you base Growth. policy decisions? Um, well, uh, you know, a lot of times we turn to ERCOT, who have a host of just absolutely brilliant people, who I gave probably half of them an anxiety attack by half of the terms I used here today. But um, luckily, Dan's not here. I don't see him, so. Um, but they, we rely on them heavily. We, we, we use the Brattle group, the same group that Elizabeth has used, to come up with different assumptions about market drivers and, and where we see things going. Um, but you know, it's always assumptions, mm -hmm. so. How about from Elizabeth, from your standpoint? Are mm -hmm. those, those would seem to be drivers of, uh, you know, a long-term uh, shift in investment in uh, 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 an infrastructure that's more conducive to renewables. Yes, absolutely. Um, just just some examples of some of the assumptions that we used. I think I mentioned earlier that um, when we're and and we're currently working on a 20-year time horizon when we're trying to 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 look at what we think the trends uh, are going to be. Um, we're looking at natural gas staying at or below four dollars per mmbtu for the foreseeable future, not that full 20 years, but for, um, for the medium term. Um, and folks, folks that we've talked to in industry say that that appears likely at this point. Um, uh, there, are, there are no state subsidies for renewable industry. Um, there are some subsidies at the federal level for wind and solar power, um, but those are gonna sunset pretty soon. And our assumption is that, that those subsidies will sunset and stay sunsetted. Mm -hmm. So for example, the solar, uh, solar subsidies will sunset in 2021, wind subsidies uh, will sunset in 2019. Mm -hmm. So our assumption is that those are gonna go away and, and stay gone and that those industries have now become mature enough that, that they're gonna be able to go on and, and compete um, you know, in, in the open marketplace. So those are some examples. Okay, good, thank you. Absolutely, thanks for your question. Yeah, if anyone has some. Yeah, Jim, you know, a lot of this discussion has been around the economics of what we're doing, how the economics. Let's not overlook the economic benefit of making our grids secure because resilient power in Texas is very important in the benign environment we live in. Think how important it would be as people become aware of and these threats of various types continue to grow against our electrical system if we have a resilient system in a, in a harsh environment, in a, in a threat environment, it would be an economic boom for Texas to be the first to do that 
and it would also be an enhancement to the military that's here in Texas. Texas has the second largest contingent of mil military personnel of any state. Only California has more. We, we benefit to the tune of $154 billion a year from it. They can't operate if they don't have electrical power. So if we have a protected electrical grid system, I don't expect any of the military to move out, and probably they would probably grow the bases here, but businesses would be attracted here saying, you know, if something were to happen in the United States and the lights were to go out, they'll be back on in Texas first. That would do more than all the money we've got in the uh, tax abatement programs and the enterprise fund for attracting businesses here and people. Yeah, let's make sure to keep that air conditioning on too. As, yes. Yeah, as long as we can, yeah. and as long as the prices stay competitive Great. with other yes. states. Um, yes. Well, uh, we are out of time, um, but I thank you all for joining us and could give uh, our panelists a round of applause.